0: you're listening to beauty papers podcast and this month we are talking to shauna gavin whose new book spiraled is published by idea and it's a document of 10 years of free parties balls, and rave history when shauna was part of a whole underground scene throughout europe and shauna is also my sister my name is francesca gavin and i'm the art editor of beauty papers Hi, Shauna. (laughs) Hello. Good good morning. (laughs) I mean, I have an unusual insight into this whole experience, but let's start at the very beginning. Let's talk about how you entered the scene. Okay. Um, Yeah, I was was very young. Um, I was uh, underage, around 15 when I um, started to, uh, when I was introduced to these parties in London. I, at school I was quite rebellious. Um, all my friends outside of school were all living in squats and much older and into kind of looking for an alternative lifestyle. I used to go to a club on um, Old Street called Gig, and that was back in the days when Old Street was just an uh, empty industrial area. There was literally nothing there. You um, couldn't buy a pint of milk. It was like a no-man's land. Yeah it, was re- yeah, it wasn't somewhere you would want to spend time. It was the, um, the event, um, the club was at the old town hall. But, you know, I remember you'd leave and you'd walk around. You couldn't find a cab office anywhere. There was absolutely nothing in that area. But so Wordy Gig was kind of like the breeding ground for where like teenagers and uh, youth would go. It's kind of where people would kind of try out their first pills. It was a pretty fluffy club but then it would finish at 12. So we always wanted to kind of carry on the night. So some friends of mine started taking me to um, raves afterwards. So that's kind of how it started. I remember the first one was like a small Spiral Tribe um, rave in West London, it was quite intimate. And it was just, it had a much, a very sort of, just a very different energy from (laughs) Whirly Gig. It was, had a much more dark edgy energy. But, um, but uh, I mean, I was hooked. I, I, I felt like I probably met every single person in the room. You know, it was all, everyone was very like, it all felt like we were all part of an experience together and it just felt new and exciting. And then I just started going to the parties every weekend and it, was, it kind of became my life. Um, school was just something just to, it was a midweek thing and that, you know, you were just waiting for the weekend. I would kind of lost interest in school probably. Um, But yeah, so I'd go every weekend and start to meet all the sound systems and became friends with them. I mean, what's so amazing is like a lot of people did that as part of their life. The difference is that you actually started documenting it, not only in your photographs, but also in your diaries, writing about the entire experience. Do you want to tell me a little bit about how the photographs started happening? Yeah, well, I think I was... I think I've always been kind of obsessed with photos. I mean, even when we were, when we were small, when I was like five, I was obsessed with looking at the family albums. And I just, I kind of, I kind of always really enjoyed looking back and, you know, sort of looking back at experience and, and you know, helping, and I saw how it kind of, it would help to keep hold of memories. So I think I started probably in the beginning, um, I would take a disposable camera on a night out, but the quality of the photos were always terrible and disappointing. So I think I had, the, the next step was, um, I had one of those compact film um, cameras, like it was a very much a point and shoot thing, but it was small and compact and I could kind of have it in my pocket on a night out. So I just started to more and more um, carry that around. Um, I didn't document so much in the UK. It was, it kind of developed more when, um, when I would start to go out to Europe, when the sound systems left uh, London and, and, and headed to Europe around 94, after the criminal justice bill. Yeah, I really spent a really tough to experience of the criminal justice bill, which you write about in the book. Do you want to yes. surprise? I mean, cause a lot of people wouldn't necessarily know, but that was like a real turning point in British cultural history where people were basically protesting at the end of public dancing. Like we couldn't actually have raves or parties outside. It actually almost also limited protests. Mm-hmm. Do you want to tell me about your experience of that march? Oh, yeah, so I mean, all my friends back then were all very politically engaged. And there was, um, yeah, there was a lot of anti-criminal justice bill marches going on, um, and um, things like reclaim the streets. But the the most memorable one for me was the one in Hyde Park. Um, I guess that must have been around 94, where it started off as a very peaceful protest. And then it kind of went on all day and they had lots of sound systems set up. And it was, yeah, it was basically very much, um, I mean, people felt really strongly about it because it was about expressing our right, our freedom and our right to party, which was being threatened by the criminal justice bill, as well as um, there were going to be limitations with with our right to actually protest at all. So people felt really strongly about it, but it wasn't just young people, you know, there were old people there, um, you know, married couples you know straight people like it was a it was a huge variety of of the public that attended um but yeah so at the end it got a bit ugly it turned into there was you know there's always a few kind of anarchist types that kind of cause trouble um at these events so they start throwing things at the police and then it turned into a full-on riot and then um they ended up with thousands of people that were left at the end who really were just trying to get home but um Myself and my friends, uh, we were marching down Oxford Street and um, being chased by riot police on horses. And then in the end, we kind of ran down, ran down a, an alleyway and, and actually I got beaten up by about 10 policemen. Um, I was 16 at the time. Crazy. So, you, uh, know what you look like then, I mean, there's pictures of you around that age in the book and you're like, basically like a really androgynous little baby boy yeah. um, with a skinhead. Yeah. But the very, you know, in, But I, I, it was my kind of, I guess it was my, um, it was my, it was a hard, hard look, but underneath I was just a soft, you know, 16 year old innocent girl, really. But, um, but they didn't care, they didn't differentiate between anyone that was there. But if it was nowadays, someone would have been filming it and there would have been some kind of evidence. But at the time I just felt like there was no point in saying anything, it was their word against mine. But yeah, so I write about this in the diary entries. Um, I kept a journal from when I was around 13 until I was about 30. So um, there was a lot of stories from, from back then that I wrote about and you know, i give details about some of the parties and the travels. And so after the criminal justice bill, obviously it really shifted the scene in the UK because it got passed. And so the whole scene moved out to Europe. Do you want to tell me a bit, summarize like, the experience of what those periods in time were? I mean, you'd be gone for three months at a time sometimes. Yeah. So um, yeah. So after the criminal justice bill, there was it was harder to put on the parties in the, in London. The police would turn up, they beat people up, confiscate equipment. You know, just got harder and harder. So yeah. So then that was when when things evolved to Europe. So Spiral Tribe, you know, they they left around then, and then other sound systems um, soon followed. And it was like, a, and then it sort of turned into this whole community out in Europe um, of like French sound systems, Italian. Austrian, you know, uh, Spanish, it kind of, loads loads more sound systems grew out of the scene, but they all kind of, um, they could all <clears throat> be involved in, you know, and anyone was welcome to set up at these, like at these, uh, techno festivals, technivals. um, anyone was welcome. And it was all very much, um, uh, donation on the door policy. Um, so it wasn't really, it, they weren't commercially, uh, driven. We're hustling the bar to live. I mean, you obviously, (laughs) we had no money. So like actually surviving out there was probably quite a community process. Yeah, it was very much, it was very much about, um, living, you know, community living. Like everyone kind of looked out for each other. I mean, I would spend entire summers, um, out there with sometimes with 200 quid in my pocket for the whole summer that I would somehow stretch out. So, um, yeah, the people, the people out there were like my temporary family and we'd all look out for each other. Um, it just, I never seemed to really worry about food or, or how I was gonna survive. It just kind of, I just kind of had faith that I just threw myself in the situation and it just, I was looked after. Yeah, you it's know, talk a little um, bit about, like, also, like, the, obviously this is music orientated too and dancing orientated. Do you want to tell, like, explain the vibe of what it was like being on those dance floors? I think like, I remember you had a really specific kind of way of dancing at the time. Yeah, it was quite like, it was a little bit like robotic some, somehow, um, which I think, uh yeah, I'm sure I'm, I mean, you know, the, the, obviously there were class A's involved, you know to kind of come up with some of those uh, dance moves I, I invented. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, it was very much like, um, I mean, the music was designed to, to almost put you in a trance-like state, you know, and it was, you know, people, they'd have a huge, sometimes there'd be like a huge stack, like a huge wall of speakers and everyone, you'd be all standing literally like inches away from the speaker, like you're all facing it. It's almost like you're the crowd, like it's like worship, it's some kind of like a religious, like going to church where you're all kind of facing the the altar. Um, but it was, um, but yeah, just, it was just such a, it was really about, it just, there was a real sense of um, an energy that you're all kind of part of something together. I think that's kind of um, something that I, I remember feeling. So um, let's talk about like the photographs because obviously they sat in a box for 20 years before you came back to them. Do you want to tell us a little bit about how you started showing them again and what your feelings are about the aesthetic? Because they've got quite its particular look. Yeah, it's, yeah, so that kind of period of time, that, that period of my life was, was kind of buried for a while. I kind of just pushed it to the side. It was the past, it was done. Um, I kept a lot of the photos and albums. But I, I never really valued it as anything special. Like I, I, it just felt like it was just photos from me, my travels and my friends, but it was all like normal to me. And then I started to more recently realize how not everyone had access to that world in the same way that I did. And it, it was something that was actually very underground and hidden. And, you know, so whenever I kind of showed the odd photo to people in my kind of more current life, they'd always, the reactions were always like, wow, oh my God, wow, look at this, you know, and I realized, oh, people haven't really seen that, that whole scene or lifestyle, you know, firsthand. So, so I started to feel like, as it had been, as it had been so long, I wanted to share, I felt like it was time to share it. So, I mean, first, the first idea was, I really wanted to put it into a book, actually. But then um, I was very lucky that, I was offered an exhibition space um, at uh, Gallery PCP in Paris last summer. Um, thanks to you, actually, you were kind of the link. I <laughs> um, um, came out of a really natural conversation with um, Peter Sobolski, who runs the gallery, and he was saying, well, I really want to do something about Spiral Tribe. And I was like, you know, my sister was part of that whole scene and has like, a huge archive of flyers and diary entries and photographs. And he immediately went, let's do a show. Yeah. So it was all really natural and it was just it just fell into place and it was last summer which also we had no i wasn't really consciously thinking that it was the 20 years since the you know summer of love kind of anniversary um so it was the the timing was great so that show happened in paris and then there was a really great response um with the people that attended and the press and then that actually led to um me being included in um at the group show at the Saatchi Gallery, Sweet Harmony Rave Today, um, where they gave me one of the main central room and, and I had um, some, of those, some of the same photos blown up, really large scale. So that was, um, yeah, that was really great to have been included in that show, because that was brought like a much bigger audience. Um, and then it slowly led to me uh, getting a publisher and, and then having Spiraled published this summer. Yeah, I mean, you totally, I mean, you came up with a proposal and approached idea, I know, originally. Do you want to tell, I mean, you all, from the start, you had a really clear concept of how you wanted the content to work. I know you worked very closely with the designers on the layout, who were amazing. Um, But yeah, yeah, do you want to tell us a little bit, like, about the visual approach of the book? Yeah, I, um, yeah, I was very lucky to to have had the help of... um, Kate Rogers and Luke Powell, who helped with the design and layout, I really wanted um, I really wanted the image the images to have because there's there's quite a lot going on in, in, in them, especially the the photos of of the interiors of the warehouse spaces and stuff. I really wanted there to be space around the images to really see them to not you know just to and then just to sort of tell a story you know like I, I gave a lot of thought to the images that were. On the double double page spreads like what images were next to each other how they they weren't they it wasn't in time order throughout the book it was more about how the images related to each other with maybe themes like there was um a double page where it was like two different picnic kind of scenes that were happening in between the parties but there's probably maybe a few years in between those photos but they just kind of went together you know with the theme and the mood um and I'm very obsessed with color so often you know it's all about how the colors um bounce off each other you know with the images um I'm very much about color and light so but I really wanted to with the diary entries it was important that, that they were in chronological order so it kind of I wanted it to feel like you're kind of going on a journey as you're going through the book mm-hmm. it's like living living the experience so with the diary entries alongside the images it's kind of gives it a whole other um, it just gives it more depth Um, Also, like, one of the main things is when you look back at that period of time, often women are kind of written out of it. It was a lot of guys taking photographs, apart from Vinka Peterson, who was actually affiliated to your scene with her book, No System, that came out with Slidal in the late 90s. Most of the time, club photography was male. It's often focusing on male DJs. And what's really interesting, I think, about your approach is you are very much a young girl, and women were really part of that scene. Do you want to say a little bit about that experience as a girl, part of it? Hmm. yeah um yeah it was very um I guess the women in 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 the scene I was in they're all quite tough you know it was very it was very like androgynous kind of world like um you know there was a lot like I had all my hair shaved off and a lot of the women were everyone was in kind of baggy military clothing you know there weren't there were always there's always like Girly girls around, but I definitely wasn't a girly girl. I was very tomboyish. Um, but I think um, I think that actually, especially when I was very young, as a teenager, that actually made me feel safe somehow. I felt protected with that kind of kind of hard exterior. Mm. I mean, I I could walk across when I was sixteen. I could walk across London at five a.m. on my own, leaving a party, and no one would go near me. I felt completely protected and safe. Um, but yeah anyway that's going on a bit of a tangent there mm.
1: um,
0: but in terms of uh i mean i guess yeah i mean i sp- I know what you mean about it being quite male dominated but um you know more i think that's maybe more like club culture and stuff from back then mm-hmm. i think i think it felt i mean i'm not sure about maybe with the documentation side it's different but i think it was quite um there was a lot of uh, female DJs, you know, in the scene I was in. it felt kind of, it felt, it didn't feel like a sexist kind of Mm -hmm. like environment. Um, It felt a bit more balanced maybe. Mm -hmm. Also, let's talk a little bit about the way everyone looked. I mean, the aesthetic of it is so specific because it was so different to, I mean, obviously it's quite like a hard techno scene. It's almost like, I feel like Berlin now fetishizes the look of what you were then. You are so ahead of, it was like this kind of, yeah, do you want to describe how people dressed? I mean, obviously, makeup wasn't a big part of it, but there was a very clear aesthetic. Yeah, I mean, the, especially the kind of... The, the Spiral Tribe kind of look was like very much like shaved heads, all in black, which I, which I know what you mean about nowadays, like Boekein probably take on that look, the kind of very um, androgynous, all in black kind of simple um, aesthetic um but um so i guess there was a lot of i mean i was obsessed with uh reflective (laughs) having anything reflective or uv on my clothing as well it was all about like what would uh, stand out on the dance floor um i actually used to me and my friends this is probably when i was like 16 we used to actually get pieces of uh that reflective material that you know you get on um on your cycling you know cycling clothes and and we'd actually cut out little nike ticks and and stick them onto our trainers so mm-hmm. that they would glow on the dance floor um so it was a lot of kind of cust- I, w- I was quite into customizing things back then mm-hmm. but it was quite i guess it was quite like military and kind of sportswear mm-hmm. and, very, and, and very and very from me and my friends um girls with very big baggy trousers as well was part of the look Oh, yeah, I forgot those giant jeans. Yeah, huge giant blue bolt, like baggy trousers with huge pockets in the back where you could put, like, a bottle of wine in the back pocket when you're wandering around. I mean, very, very practical. 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 <laughs> yeah, do you, I mean, obviously there's so much, like, you saw so much of Europe at the time. Do you want to talk about, like, what are some of your favourite memories? Because there's some hilarious stories and some of the, there's a lot of humour in the images as well as this kind of joyousness of the scene and, like, yeah. What are some of the crazy things that happened to you? Um, yeah, well, just you just when you mentioned humor, um, the first thing that popped into my head was uh, the photo that I've included in the book of um, the naked raver um, at uh, Czech, Czech Technoval, um, which uh, I actually remember that moment really well. I remember wandering around on the Saturday night and just seeing this guy as like a proper kind of local raver who had obviously um kind of lost it a little bit and he was completely naked standing in front of a speaker um in his own little world but looked like he was having a great time. Um, (laughs) I was very lucky just to have happened to have had a camera at that point. Um and to to have captured that. But yeah, so there were a lot of funny moments like that. Um, People falling asleep next to records, like there's a lot of people falling asleep and passing out all over the place. Yeah, a lot of people passing out in, in hilarious positions. Um, yeah, there's one of the images um, behind the Hecate sound system where a friend of mine. He he was actually supposed to be he um, he was next to um, Beyond the Decks, but then um, never quite made it that far. <laughs> Passed out with his legs, um, the, like his legs were upright onto on like some of the record boxes. And then there's another photo. Where you see his head is on the other side of the tarpaulin. So it's um, that was actually. A very hilarious moment um which again i was just lucky to have had a camera otherwise it would have, that memory would have been completely lost it's also really interesting because you also you were you went to chelsea and then camberwell you went to art school and then years later obviously now your focus is on collage work do you want to say like how this experience sort of reflected your wider interest in art and like, can you, the connections you can see between the photographs you take and the college work you make now? Yeah, I mean, um, yeah, so when I was at Camberwell, I was, I was actually doing a drawing degree. I did, I did choose photography as an elective. So that's probably when I got a, um, like a slightly better manual camera that I would use when I was traveling around. Um, so I did have an interest in photography Um, the work I make that I've made in the past 10 years the collage work is in some ways it's connected to photography because I use old photographic imagery um, but just from old books and magazines and then I create these um, kind of uh, fantasy environments but I think people can really see now that people are aware of my the 90s photography archive I have and that I was part of that scene. I think people can really connect it to, um, when they see my college work, they're like, oh, okay, you can see the of the, the psychedelic references, you know, that, that kind of connect to the kind of 90s um, aesthetic, you know, I think, um, but also, I mean- Keeping in mind your childhood, which people probably don't know, becoming spending most of that in Woodstock upstate New York and that kind of legacy into your interests and yeah that definitely left its mark as well and and I mean with um with yeah with the collage work I think it was well I was obsessed with um of well not only looking at photo albums when we were little but also at dad's um collection of utopian 60s art books and stuff when we were in Woodstock so I think that kind of that kind of influenced you know subconsciously influenced me with my work mm-hmm. um, but yeah i mean i guess woodstock was definitely um it was a real hub for creatives you know a lot of creators were moving there artists musicians writers um so there was something it was definitely a, a, there was definitely a, a feeling of freedom and in our childhood and and sort of alternative thinking about things so i think that that's definitely um made its mark on me um well let's just to finish off like we've also you put together a playlist which we're going to put up oh yeah some of the images do you want to talk a little bit about like what some of the music was that really connected to you and how you feel about looking back at all of us now ah yeah i mean the the music i chose i mean there's a few songs that um are very obviously connected um that I may have, that I would have probably heard on a dance floor back then. But as I've said before, when people have asked me to do playlists and stuff and you know, what tunes did you hear? It's kind of like, I wasn't wasn't a DJ, I didn't buy records. It was more about, it wasn't really like nowadays where if you go to a club, you're like, oh yeah, that track, that tune, that's the one, you know, I'm gonna, that I, you know, love to dance to. It was more about how the DJ kind of would mix everything together. So I wouldn't even be able to give names of tracks. It was just more about the overall feeling. So a lot of the songs I chose, I guess, more kind of give me a sense of nostalgia for that period of time. So it, it's more the feelings that it gives me. I mean, then your book well, does that too, you know? It really it really gives a sensation of being there in quite yeah. a personal, intimate way. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that was kind of, that was, that was what I was aiming for. Well, um, final question. What's your favourite picture in the book? My favourite picture in the book? Mm. What's oh, wow. Um, there's a couple. I mean, the one, the one that's uh, New Year's Day, Rome, um, 2002, with the, with the beams of light streaming from the ceiling. Mm. I've always loved that photo. Um, even when I you know, even when I didn't really value my photos from back then when I was, you know, like 10 years ago, that one's always been one that stood out to me that I kind of knew there was something special about it. I just remember that moment so clearly walking around the building in the morning on New Year's Day and, you know, there was just a few dregs the party left and everything kind of packed down, but there was just this incredible light streaming through the ceiling, creating these spotlights that kind of made you feel like you were beneath a spaceship that was taking off. So that's always really, um, that one really stands out to me. And I think the other one is probably of um, Charlie, who I'm still friends with, who um, the, the picture of her um, at the rave in Brighton. Um, in the, again, in the, it's always in the morning. I didn't take a lot of photos at nighttime. They're usually, um, I think I was having too much of a good time. So, <laughs> so you'll notice a lot a lot of the photos are more in the daytime. But yeah, so I just, there was just something that was really special that was captured when I took that photo of her with she's in the foreground and she's kind of slightly lit up with a flash and then there's the field and the party behind her I just feel like it really captured the feeling of that moment well Shauna thank you very much for talking about it the book is available through Ideas website um, which is idea.ltd I think but you can also find it at independent bookshops and it's selling out very quickly yeah, get it while you can. Get it, well, drop it while it's hot. <laughs> um, okay, thank you so much. Thanks Fran, good chatting to you sis. <laughs> you you sis, my little baby sis.